You are now listening to The Big Data Beard. Well, hey, everybody. I'm Corey Minton with The Big Data Beard Podcast, and we are at Data Science Salon in Austin, Texas today. And we're excited to have Andy join us from NumFocus. Andy, welcome to the Big Data Beard Podcast. Thanks for having me. Why don't you do us a favor and tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do at NumFocus? Yeah, so I'm the president of NumFocus. Um, I came here from a background of data science and kind of started in academia, uh, got a PhD in computer science and went off and did things like study oceans and, and molecular biodynamics and whatnot. And the code was more interesting than um, maybe the science to me. Okay. Um, and so that wasn't boding well for an academic career where the the science is really where, where it's at so um a bunch of us got together the, the scientific python community and we we're like we need a way to accept money to write code for science um so we founded numfocus and so numfocus is a non-profit that represents about uh, we have different levels of projects um so we have about 25 that are you know fully sponsored we take money and help them manage money and give them physical entity and help them with all legal issues and then we have like another 25 that are kind of in the club they accept they comply for grants that we give and they can also be part of our events and things like that that um, encourage all like basically coding for science open open data science code i think we kind of started before data science was like the big buzzword so it was all right. scientific computing and now it's kind of scientific and data uh, research software is what the 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 words have kind of changed a bit but um yeah as president my kind of role is to kind of go and make sure everything keeps working and like encourage everybody and high five people and uh bring bring more and uh, awesome open tools to the ecosystem um yeah. Spend a lot of time talking to companies that use our tools and how they can get back to the community. Um, how do they, and how community members can even engage with com- the rest of the corporate world and, and bring academia together to address some of the world's problems in a kind of around the open code that, that exists. Yeah. So, in this world of data science, why is open source such an important concept? Yeah. I think that, you know, Open source has kind of gone through a whole like range of things, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, from like very early on, like a weaponization of like how to, like, of your ideas to like bring standard standards to to big tech companies and and science. It was you know more of a an easier way to share ideas, um, and so the open side of it was all right. I you know need to share what I did to uh, to do any sort of analysis or any sort of proof that my science works. I mean, it's like uh, with the the this Excel bug, right? Like it was hidden for so long and maybe even caused depressions, right? The Excel depression. I don't know if you've heard of this, but it all no, came. Hang on. Ah. We're going to get into that. So, yeah. So like, you know, a software bug that, that led, that was published by science and then, um, led to policy that, and because it wasn't as open and it wasn't shared, like wasn't caught for years later and, and probably even changed, uh, uh, economies because of it. And so our viewpoint it was coming from the open world. It was like the only way to really do scholarship, really show all the aspects of science is to, to make it open. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, it's, it's somewhat controversial. I don't think it's as controversial today as it was 10 years ago. Um, but the, the note, like science is very complex. You know, if you want to predict how 
how much the oceans are going to warm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not a matter of like take a few measurements and uh, and show on an Excel spreadsheet. It's it's a very compl- set of complicated codes that are spread throughout the world and lots of um, PhD level scientists working on it. And so to not have that open, you know, it just makes it a lot harder to accept those answers and to even capture the, the bugs and things like that. And the other side of it is that, you know, coming from now in a corporate world, um, I think open making a platform open actually makes it so other people can share. So, you know, we've had data science for a long time. I mean, but now that we have like tools that are very open that anybody can get into it. I mean, in 10 weeks, you can become a data scientist at numerous boot camps, which are all teaching open tools. And that if the tools aren't open and accessible, that couldn't happen. So the whole like, kind of acceleration of data science in our culture really depends on that openness because closed tools like often integrate better. They're often like maybe um, more accurate out of the box um, and things like that. And there's a lot of really great pop properties, but if you want to give access to, you know, maybe an underserved minority population, open is a much faster, easier way to do that. Interesting. So help me understand like the differences or maybe the similarities between you, you refer to scientific computing versus what we oftentimes talk about, like with is big data more in the enterprise. Tell me the difference that you, as you see it in terms of scientific computing versus big data. Yeah. I mean, so scientific computing, I think is more like the, the mathematical, um, process of putting scientific like processes on computers, right? Mm-hmm. So there, like there's a lot of folks who were doing scientific computing. Um, with very little data, like you have a model, you can, you can do linear algebra, you can discretize a, you know, a, a geo, geophysical space on a computer, and there's been a long tradition of that. Like, I mean, you could, you could say there's hundreds of years of doing scientific computing. Right. Then there's like coming to data science, which is all the, the bringing statistics to that, um, rigorous computer modeling side of things. Yeah. And, you don't have to be big data to do data science. I mean, there's a lot of really good uh, small data problems. In fact, I would argue that medium data is uh, a, maybe a better marker for like what um, most companies and most people are going to be doing because like the big data problems these days tend to be the the ones that go at scale. And most companies don't operate at the scale of like a Google or a Facebook, right? And so that the that big data challenge is really not in everyone's purview but everybody has medium data everyone has some data like whether it's their customer accounts whether it's um just like weather throughout the the country that's going to fit on just outside of excel spreadsheet or outside the memory of your computer but it's not like i need a cluster yeah slightly challenging to traditional methods but not quite at the scale of the web 2.0 companies that are dealing with those massive scale problems yeah and so then you have big data come in and big data tends to use a lot of scientific computing principles Mm -hmm. um but how do you do that at at, at, like you said, the scale, the billions and trillions of uh, data elements a minute sort of thing. Yeah. And, and to be honest, like most really good big data strategies is to figure out how to get a small data problem out of that big data and then solve that one, right? That's so, uh, to- totally true. <laughs> it's like, all right, so we have a dupe in the Spark cluster. How do we get that down to a small data set that we can do evaluation and then stream it off and, and do a lot of small data problems exactly. versus one big, big data problem? Remind me, that's we got to get mediumdatabeard.com. That's going to yeah. be the next thing. <laughs> so you mentioned Hadoop, yeah. Apache Foundation. So do you work with them at all? Any collaboration with them? Um, yeah, I mean, we're not like officially collaborating in any really, in a lot of ways. I think that we, I, you know, we know a lot of people in the Apache Foundation, 
Apache Foundation has like they they have the Apache way, which is you know really around. Um, I guess it, in some ways it got started as a community, um, but it was in a corporate world, right? And so a lot of their policies, like that, for example, FCLAs, they have the Apache license, um, they have many like kind of policies to protect corporations. Mm-hmm. Um, and scientists, like, eh, they're just like, yeah, I don't really care about like getting everybody to read a legal agreement just to accept a line of code, right? I don't really want to have to force this one particular license, which may be the best license in the world, but hey, you know, there's a lot of these what, hundreds of licenses. Why should I pick one? You know, scientists are kind of, you know, like a burly, you know, like the, yeah. you know, they want to spread like, everybody. Look like us. Yeah, I got it. Right. Yeah. And so, um, so I've in never been sense, called a scientist before, but thank <laughs> you. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> So I, so I think Apache Foundation is a great community. I think that, you know, we look to them for a lot of the way they organize themselves, a lot of the way they build community. Mm-hmm. But we try to do it in a way that's a little bit closer to, like, the way scientists work, um, you know, and maybe not as, you know, um, stringent on, you know, the, the patch structure. Or maybe not – so you get to pick your own technical path. You get to pick your own licenses and things like that. We have – I guess we have three basic rules for our projects. Um, the first is scientifically oriented. Um, you know, Excel is used by tons of people, yeah. but, and there's, there's open source research, uh, types of Excel, open source Excel programs out there, but we wouldn't represent those because Excel fundamentally isn't a science program, right? right. Whereas like SciPy, the, 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 the scientific Python package is very much targeted at scientists. So that's yeah. like, are you on, in the, the kind of the club, the mission, if you will. Yeah. Um, second is, do, do you kindness community? Do you, um, do you, t- you have a kind of code of conduct? Do you have a way of working with a community? Are you open to that community? Can you take feedback? Um, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And then finally, one that's becoming increasingly more important or, um, and, and maybe differentiating the, the open source community more is, is lead open. Um, yeah. so if you think of a lot of corporate open source, there's, um, you know, there's the old, like, ca- the bazaar versus the cathedral. And a lot of times people are doing what, I, what a friend of mine called, James Harrison calls cathedral before the bazaar. So they'll go build something like TensorFlow is a good example. They built TensorFlow, they released it to the public. So it's under the cathedral and then it goes out to the bazaar and it's done wonderful things as an open source mechanism, but yeah. largely it's led by one company. Right. And so that, since we're at 501c3 and we believe in public kind of access, that's wouldn't fall into our purview because it's one company that is privately owned and the biases are not in the public interest of that. And so that, that kind of like change, changes kind of the nature of the projects we work with. For sure. So you you mentioned SciPy as one of the projects, but, but give us an idea of some of the other oh, totally. projects that like maybe the, maybe the bigger ones are the ones that you're spending a lot of time on that you think are interesting. Yeah. I think the, the ones most people really know about are um, SciPy, NumPy, uh, Pandas mm-hmm. in the, what we call the Pi data stack. Okay. Um, from that, you'll get like image and um a whole a whole range of d- python packages mm-hmm. um even like we even like work with like scikit-learn which is a very popular tool they fall in not in our fully sponsored projects because they have their own foundation that we work with but we um but they're kind of inside the affiliated projects and whatnot then there's the the julia world so julia language programming language which is um, relatively newcomer, I guess, as far as languages go, but has made a lot of impact. Um, and we've got several projects, including just the Julia core language, which 
includes a lot of things that are broken off into different open source packages in the Python world. So like Julia comes with its own SciPy and its own pandas type things, right? And so, but they, we do have a uh, jump, which is a optimization, like a, a package. So it does, um, uh, linear programming, I believe, and, and those sorts of things. And we also work with some, um, codes like Stan, which is a, it's a it's a C plus plus modeling library that then has like different um, uh, implementations in language different languages, and it's used by like for example Facebook. It's like the the underlying predictor of like their profit system, which does all the predictions of their um, their company and metrics and whatnot. And it's a big open source platform, um, which is great. And we have several other probabilistic programming kind of paradigms. Um, we have PyMC and and Pomegranate and so on. Um, and then we have like things that like are very niche for a scientific domain, um, such as the AstroPy and um, MD analysis, which is molecular dynamics, um, and, and things like that, and Solar uh, SunPy, which is a solar study. Um, then we have like tools like that are lower level, like um, a package manager called Conda, um, which is kind of like data scientists are like really gravitated to because it it installs not only just Python but it can install R and, and lots of different binary packages and um, and then there's other and there's a whole community around managing the packages. So data scientists tend not to like to use things like Debian, Yum, or and things like that that are. Um, Distribution heavy. Uh, we love to play around because we that really like let's pull, pull all the different tools together and keep them up to date. So Conda helps with that. And then we have some. I think the biggest um, kind of like visualization and tell a story, as I like to call it, um, is the Jupiter project. Mm-hmm. And so Jupiter has kind of come off as like probably one of the bigger success stories since we started. They've um, gone from you know a, a small team to a very large team on many continents and many countries and um, even they have their own big conference, JuliaCon and or JupiterCon. Julia JuliaCon exists too, and it's also mm-hmm. multi-continent. But <laughs> so JupiterCon exists too. So Jupiter um, is one of your one of the yeah. projects. Wow, they were I, one of our big first ones. We started. yeah, no, that's it's all the rage today in data science. Yeah, it's I mean, all that's, we hear about. <laughs> oh, good. Yeah, we're doing our job. That, there you absolutely. Go. So I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit, awesome. and I'm sure all the projects are your babies in some sort of sense. <laughs> What's your favorite? Do you have a favorite? Um. Yeah, I don't. I don't really have a favorite. I'll, I mean, I'll give you an out. You can say you love them all equally. <laughs> uh, well, I, I can tell you what I curse the most. Oh, let's go. Let's, that's let's definitely get, the let's Pandas the API. But they're working on it. The good guys, they, they, you know, they do <laughs> yeah. it. But you know, it's just like, oh, is it IX or AX or iLoc or loc or you know, just like the the, the API there. I was like. Well, it's the best thing I, I know of, but at the same time, it's hard to remember. <laughs> yeah. All right. So beyond helping to develop and support these open source projects, what other kinds of you know offerings does NumFocus bring to the market? I mean, are you guys doing, like, I think typically a lot of these software companies or at least organizations supporting software do things like training and enablement, that kind of thing. What, what sort of offerings does NumFocus provide? Yeah, good question. Um, we're always trying to figure out like the best way to generate that revenue model. Right now we're publicly, uh, public, um, nonprofit and, um, most of our money comes through grants for these projects. And, um, but at the same time, we try to make it so that those, um, grants go as much as possible to the projects and mm-hmm. help those project teams. So we, we do a few other activities which are more educational in nature. Um, we hold the PyData event series. Yep. Um, we have other events that are on our projects like JupyterCon and, um, and JuliaCon and PhoenixCon and like a whole bunch of user project cons. Mm-hmm. But PyData is the one that we kind of are, 
big branded project that we go out and um I think we're running around 30, almost 30 this year. Mm -hmm. You know, we have like 100,000 members and meetups. Um, so just organizing the user community around the PyData ecosystem. Um, we also end up playing a large role in advocacy for um, research software mm -hmm. and the, the communities. And so I ended up, I just was in Washington last week talking to um, an NSF panel on like how research software is evolving and how we can sustain it for scientists and things like that. Um, and we are always looking for ways to figure out new, new ways to make money. But, um, we haven't, we've talked about launching educational, uh, like educational uh, trainings and mm -hmm. things like that. But for the most part, we, we haven't kind of gotten over such a small team. There's seven of us who actually work on the project uh, on the, them focus business every day to, mm -hmm. to, to help like the 300 or so core contributors around our projects. So we're, we keep pretty busy with that. Yeah. So most of our like Pi data brings in a lot of money to run the actual organization and the grants kind of run to, um, fund the projects, but only a little bit goes to actually fund some financial coordination and things like that. Gotcha. So a lot of what, you know, there's this, there's this marriage of scientific computing, big data, AI world happening. And, and a lot of the projects that you support have a variety of kind of use cases, some in, in very kind of specific ways. But I'm curious at a, at a more macro level, like go up a level, what are some of the next big innovations that have to happen in order for us to really see scientific computing and AI take the next big jump forward? Oh, wow. Oh, man. Like when does it gain consciousness? Oh, yeah. Like the right? singularity is coming? Like <laughs> uh, how far off is that? When it wakes up. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I think that the, the there's a lot of bigger problems. Like there's a lot of big steps to get to before like AI becomes like the big the big dominant force in in like everybody's life. I mean, it's already changing every person's life. Everybody you know wakes up and does their Google search, and that has a lot of AI technologies mm -hmm. on it. But the you know vast majority of people aren't you know being driven by kind of. Um, an AI mission, if you will. Mm -hmm. And a lot of businesses don't know how to use AI very well. Yeah. And so I think that the, the next kind of big challenge for the AI community and the data community is, is making it accessible to a wider uh, variety of people. Mm -hmm. You know, like scientists, you know, today do a lot of work on trying to find uh, cures for cancer and, and um, maybe patterns in weather to like predict, um, uh, disasters and things like that. And AI could help there, but it's not as clear, right? So mm -hmm. the tools of AI are, they're hard to use. There's, you know, no one tells you, oh yeah, you have to have millions of labeling points and things like that to make it work well. And so like, you but get, you do. <laughs> and you know, hurricanes, they, they happen when they happen and you yeah. can't like, just repeat that a million times. <laughs> uh, so maybe deep learning's out of the picture for that, right? right. So, <laughs> So making the tools easier to use and, and bringing the literacy level up of like the corporate America and the, the science, the, the scientific elites and, and so on to take this technology and use it for good. Mm -hmm. Um, I think we're also wrestling with the ethics, right? I think yeah. you talk about this at the conference a little bit. Um, you know, there are a lot of ethical questions that come up when you collect data. You know, there's a lot of responsibility there and, I think that most organizations are unprepared to deal with that. There's a few compliance things, but they're either scared away by the compliance. Mm -hmm. So then it only leads to like the elites actually being able to afford to do really cool things with big data. And so I think that's, that's a shame. And that's something our community should help the, the rest of the world kind of understand and use data to their, um, to the good of the, of their enterprises. Yeah. Well, you mentioned there too that, um, 
it's about making it more accessible, but bringing it to a broader audience. And I noticed one of the things that Numfocus is really focused on is just that diversity and inclusion. So tell me something about, tell me about the programs that Numfocus has to support, you know, making this technology more accessible and, and frankly, more diverse in terms of the people that interact with it. And thank you for embarrassing me because I totally forgot about all our inclusion programs. <laughs> Thankfully, I have a wonderful communications director who, who manages a lot of those things. Okay. And, but, um, you know, when we started out, we made like a bold statement that if you're going to join NumFocus, you have to have a code of conduct. And the code of conduct kind of evolved out of an understanding that, you know, the open source world was only serving a minority of the population and generally are white males Mm -hmm. who are participating. And if you sat down and you started asking questions as we kind of did, you found that most underrepresented minorities did not feel welcome to that community. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it had to do with our, you know, the way we acted online. I mean, you know, when you grow up playing Halo and like, you know, kill them all kind of like, you know, that's, that's where you do on the internet, right? And yeah. that translates over to a lot of our online presence in open source, which has become an, a professional activity. Mm-hmm. So just from the very get go, normalizing that it's a safe place mm-hmm. for everybody to contribute was a very big ins- initiative for us. And, you know, we got a lot of flack from it. I mean, we got hate mail and all that sort of thing, and that, that's fine. The, that's the people, people that you didn't want involved in the right? thing anyway. Yeah, so, we so, <laughs> we're not inclusive to those people. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then from there, kind of, so that's kind of like a policy kind of idea. But then moving on to, you know, hey, our, events need to be inclusive and like this is a great event where half the speakers are female mm-hmm. and you know that that's something you don't see at most data conferences and i think it's something that's hard like you know when anna kind of takes that on it wasn't like a oh yeah i'll just i'll fi- i know all the the women who can come yeah it's really like i have to spend a lot more time cultivating that pipeline and, and bringing women to the the leadership positions and for our side of that, we've actually tried to push in all of our PyData events and all of our meetups to, mm-hmm. to encourage women and minorities to come up. Um, we have a Discover Cookbook, which is a just a, a way to like you know maybe nudge units, if you will, to like show that you are inclusive in an event. Things like uh, labeling food that one of our our, our previous product uh, project directors kind of came up with. Like, look, most people who have like you know eating um, kind of I don't know, like uh, differences in how they eat. Yeah. Like they feel, you know, they go to a conference and they just can't eat or they bring their own food. Like, why don't you just label what's in the food? Right. And so yeah. that's like a very simple, like nudge thing is like, all right, we'll, we'll put that this is a vegan friendly and this one's a vegetarian friendly. And it's the sort of thing that when you're scrambling to get a, a conference together, you don't want to think about it all the time, but like having like some validation that that actually helps bring more people to your conference yeah. has um has been the sort of thing we're trying to promote. We have a, a diversity, inclusion, and scientific computing uh, committee that it was kind of funny. I It was a mailing list a long time ago. We start, I just kind of started and, and encouraged a lot of people to come. And then Gina, our, our wonderful communications director, started picking up and made a whole, a real kind of uh, committee out of and and she's done all the good work I, so i created the mailing list and then we have now we actually have a real program out of it so that's awesome that's the beauty of being the pre- 
president, you can just like say, oh, this is interesting. And then hopefully someone will pick it up. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. But why do you like one of the things I, you know, we saw today was, as you said, there's a lot of women in diversity in the, the sessions here, but why is it that we should care about diversity? Cause I know it's a hot topic, but in your mind, like in scientific computing, in this big data space, why is diversity so important? Well, I think that, um, you, you kind of have two choices, right? You can be, you can focus on diversity or you can ignore it. Mm-hmm. And if you ignore it, it won't happen, right? And so then you ask, like, well, if I ignore it, I'm going to still get like bright people, right? Yeah. But you're going to get bright people of a specific bias, right? It's like the, um, you know, a few years ago when it came out that none of the facial techni- facial uh, recognition software o- worked on black people. Mm-hmm. I mean, how how crazy is that <laughs> to think that, you know, it should only work on white people? Yeah. Well, that comes from, like, a singular thinking mind. Mm-hmm. And so, like, you had bright people who were all white who, you know, thought of, like, everything they could of around this, but they forgot to mention, like, oh, yeah, there's this whole other population that we work with every day, right? So... That you, you're not going to percolate all the ideas by one group. Yeah. And so if you can work a little harder to get that inclusivity, your products are going to be better. They're going to think about all the edge cases more. You're going to yeah. present people who are, you know, less able to represent themselves in the business environment sometimes mm-hmm. that that'll give them a leg up. And so it, it reduces the structural um, violence is, I guess, struck, it's a harsh term, but structural violence towards people who have a hard time coming up in society. And those, those, uh, uh, injustices exist everywhere. Yeah. And so we, you know, very strongly believe that you're not going to weed those out unless you actually include the people that are experiencing them every day. I mean, I don't have the experience of a, a, a poor black boy in urban America. Um, so I have to go find someone and ask them, bring them to my space mm-hmm. and, and try to help them come because they can't come on their own. So provide them money, provide them an invitation to say that mm-hmm. they're welcome. Yeah. And then I get to experience a little bit, a tiny bit of what they actually do and what yeah. they feel. And so, but I wouldn't know how to like, you know, I wouldn't know how to even f- acknowledge them if I didn't include them in that group. It's hard to have even empathy for folks right. if you don't actually experience it with them. And yeah, their, their, their experiences are valuable. That's very cool. So, yeah. So, and, and also to that point though, I think, yeah. you know, all the different lenses creates a more well-rounded picture, which yeah. is really what Absolutely. we're looking for. Uh, so developers, how do developers get started or want, who get to work with with you? Like, how do they get onboarded? Yeah. So for the most part, I mean, this is maybe something that I, I look at the the Apache Foundation and in, in jealousy a bit because uh, for us, a lot of what we do is such a small organization. The answer is you, you build a nice project and then you then you talk to us. <laughs> um, nice. So for for like we don't have like a good incubator product we'd love to like start building something that incubates uh developers have an idea that kind of throw code over the wall and try to get things together to build a community but for the most part we're working with um communities that have built up a little bit and then um need a home that can handle their fiscal resources and things like that um 
for anybody who's like just a, a new developer, it's like, hey, I, I have time, I have know-how, I can like I can code and react. He's like, all right, there's, here's Interact, which is trying to lower the barrier of entry to a Jupyter notebook. I mean, I love Jupyter a lot, but it's kind of crazy. In order to use it, you have to know how to start a web server and know what a terminal is. I mean, mm-hmm. it's very easy to learn Python, but why is it so hard to like start the Jupyter notebook and and do its thing? Yeah. Interact is a response to that, and they mm-hmm. use React and a lot of really great design. If you want to be more on the like, you know, hardcore data side, right? Like NumPy and, and Pandas are always looking for people to help. And they actually have a really good pipeline of how you can come in, what issues you can solve, easy sol- easy problems, harder problems, and, and kind of start contributing right away. Um, and so we have tons of um, projects with easy lists. If you're a younger person, maybe in college, you can do the Google Summer of Code, which we're a big part of. And that's actually how a lot of developers kind of come in. I mean, Google's program, it's, it, you know, it's not perfect. Like there's always like a, a large fraction of students that fall away, but then there's a lot who come on and like become maintainers even. And so that's been a really great pipeline for um, young developers to get a mentor and learn how to you know, come into the, the system. So it's more like find a project you like, check out their bug list and, and start talking to them. There you go. So on the other side of it though, you've also got, so you have the committers and the developers that are working towards the project. But you also have sponsoring organizations. So what is it? What does it mean for a, for an organization to sponsor or to partner with NumFocus? And what do they get for? Like, what's in it for the companies that are partnering with you? Yeah. So now my executive director is going to be mad at me because I don't have my sponsorship <laughs> right in front of me. Thanks. <laughs> All right. Um, we'll but, list them. We'll list them on the show notes. It'll be good. Yeah. Don't worry about it. <laughs> so if you asked Leah, she would point out that there's a, a sponsorship uh, prospectus mm-hmm. on the um, on our website that has a lot of details. I think the the first and foremost kind of like action you have as a corporate sponsor is that you're giving back to the community that is. Um, producing code that your team depends upon because mm-hmm. every company in the fortune 500 depends on our on our code mm-hmm. um governments dependent upon our code um it's it's not like there's any business that can't say that there's some way they don't, don't depend on our code mm-hmm. um so just by joining you you're giving back and you're part of that that community which matters to developers when they choose where to work mm-hmm. right so you know it's it's not you know, these days you have a lot of options when you're developed where to work. It, it, it looks a lot better or you feel a lot better if you're working at a place that supports the education of open data science and diversity and things like this. Mm-hmm. Um, as you move up the levels, like there's, you know, you can come to our conferences, you can sponsor the pieces on the website. We have a summit where the, uh, um, Folks who are at a certain level can come and interact with the core maintainers for a weekend or a couple of days. Um, and then they, then we have like at our top level, we have a, a board of advisors who kind of get the inside loop and maybe even help us like identify vectors of money to like put into the, the projects. Mm-hmm. Um, since we are public, there, there isn't a, a fee, like a bounty kind of side. You can't come right. and say, I want pandas to work on Israeli data types. And you're like, okay, I don't know what that means, but, um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you, you, but that's um, not allowed. <laughs> you can't just say, I mean, now if, if, if you convince them like, Oh, that's a good idea. And they say, yes, please pay us to do that. Yeah. That's different. But right. if you come in and say your results are dependent, uh, your money is dependent upon those results. Right. Um, 
that doesn't work very well. Gotcha. Um, so for a good example is NVIDIA is working with us because the, um, the condo teams want their code, their packages to work on GPUs. Yeah. And NVIDIA is really push, making a large push to get our tools working on GPUs better internally. Mm-hmm. And so externally, they've, they've kicked in some money to help the, the condo team to, and condo force team to help them get the average user on a GPU and utilizing it for the whole data science pipeline. So Very cool. Well, it's been great to talk with you, Andy. What I took away from it is that NumFocus is a, a nonprofit organization driving open and inclusive standards in scientific computing and those projects that are scientific-oriented. And you got a bunch of projects, some like Jupiter, I didn't even know were part of your team, which is incredible. And we thank you for your contributions to the, to the scientific and big data community. Thank you. I want to shift gears, and we're going to have a little chat we call Rapid Fire. We've learned a lot from our guests about big data, but now it's time to get a bit personal. In a segment we like to call Rapid Fire. Pew, pew. All right, Brett, take it away, buddy. All right, so what's the latest book you've read that you would recommend to our listeners? Uh, well, I just finished up The Phoenix Project, but I'll recommend The Goal, because uh, I think The Goal by uh, Layu Golrat then the, the Phoenix Project is kind of a rewrite for the DevOps community, mm-hmm. and like yep. it's a great book. Um, but then I thought, like you know, I like going back to the roots of like the real old school business problem and seeing how it's affect the world. So the goal, the goal by Elihu Goldratt. I think it's it's funny because. I have a lot of people always like, you're a coder, Andy, you should learn some business. And like, then I get this book and it's like, oh yeah, every business person reads that book. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> so, um, so it's because every business person wants to be a coder. Yeah, maybe. So if you're a developer, especially go read the goal. Cause that'll, I think, give you an insight of like what business people think about sometimes. Okay. So when you walk on stage for conferences, like, like this one and you have a presentation, what would your walk on music be? Oh man. Back in black, ACDC. All right. That's strong. That's a strong I one. I like yeah. that. <laughs> That's a good one. All right. So what piece of technology is making your life r- worse? Worse? Oh, man. Um, That's a tough question for me. I love all my technical tools. They're fun. <laughs> <laughs> You're a tinkerer, aren't you? Yeah, totally. Um, man, I... Can I pass? Because I have no idea. Pass. Everything's working. That's a Everything's good place working. to be You're in. Yeah. <laughs> What's your biggest personal money pit right now? Oh, well, woodworking. Okay. You know, just uh, have a garage, and I started watching YouTube on woodworkers, and there's some, a lot of really great craft crafters on, on YouTube. And it, it actually... I like it because it's the what I found in the open source world early on in my life is like I liked going for the crafters who were building and cared about their craft a lot mm-hmm. and they were sharing it and now YouTube and I found that in woodworking but unlike um open source it's not as like I can't just learn it on the internet and download some free tools so yeah you know yeah. hazard freight hazard fraught tools has got a lot of my money now there so you know. <laughs> that's cool that's cool what show are you binging on right now Actually, that's um, can, I, podcast. Freakonomics sure. is the the yeah. Freakonomics podcast, and then Actually, soon to be Big Data Beard as well, right? Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Stephen Dubner's awesome. He's a yeah. crazy smart guy. All right, and lastly, where's the next interesting place that you're going? Um, you mean like a like a destination, like destination. A Hawaii or something? Yeah, like or a cool business trip or anything cool? Uh, well, no. <laughs> Good for you. Uh, Home? <laughs> yeah. Jealous. I'm. 
I guess I'm going to probably, I, I'm going to go to the beach, I guess. And we haven't decided which beach, either Outer Banks in North Carolina with my sister or, or just stick to Galveston. We, we're, we're good Galveston fans. Are you? We're, we're pretty, you know, pretty simple folks. We stick around mostly. That's I'd awesome. like to get back to Europe, go to Italy or something, but, uh, I've got, got too much work to do. <laughs> well, we appreciate you taking time from all that busy work to hang out with us on the Big Dinner Beard podcast, Andy. Thank you. Thanks, man. Thanks for listening to the Big Data Beard Podcast. The music from this episode is by Andrew Bell. Check him out on iTunes or Spotify. It would also be pretty cool if you reviewed us in your favorite podcast app. It really does help. Thanks for listening. <laughs>